What's up, everybody? This is Alex Kelly back here with another episode of Furloughed Film Talks, the podcast. I am no longer in Ryan's bedroom anymore, but Max is still here uh, being loud as hell, licking himself. So uh, back here, it's been a a crazy week, but uh, we will have this episode coming out on a Friday. We are going to be kind of mixing up our our schedule, I think. We're going to be probably just doing one episode on uh, Wednesdays for a while. Uh, Ryan is off doing some other stuff, so uh, he will join us back up hopefully very soon. But until then, it will be kind of a solo journey. Uh, Might have a couple people on to help me guest host. Might try to get uh, Tony Casillas out there uh, back on. Garrett uh, Jeffcoat, I know, wants to come back. And then uh, a new guy that we just recently met, um, super good dude, uh, is actually works at the university I went to UNT. Uh, so Chad Jones Hill. I want to say his last name. If 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 he wants to come on, then we'll give out his full name. If he doesn't want that out there, then try not to try not to get a get him in trouble or something like that. I don't know. Um, but we are back. We have uh, some stuff to clarify because I messed up hard and uh, one bit of. Uh, really, really sad movie news and uh, another one that broke today, um, a little couple hours before I recorded this. But uh, the first one, clarifications, I guess. Uh, we announced that we were going to have Colby Menifee interview. With the change to the schedule and just kind of everything going on, uh, we're going to have to push back uh, premiering that episode or that, that talk. So uh, we should have that up hopefully in a couple weeks. But um, we still have our interview with the director, Arthur Jones, and writer, Giorgio Angelini, um, of the new documentary, Feels Good Man. It's a documentary about Pepe the Frog. Um, if you know memes, you definitely know Pepe the Frog. Um, so it was a great conversation. Super excited to have that at the end of this episode. Um, those two dudes are awesome. Uh, Giorgio, I think he has family down in Houston, which doesn't make him any less cool, but he comes through Dallas all the time. So hopefully uh, we can connect in the future. Uh, but definitely check out The Feels Good Man. Uh, when this episode comes out, it will be the day of the premiere of uh, Feels Good Man. So you can go check that out um, on Apple TV. It's on Apple TV Plus, but it's, you can buy it on Apple TV and watch it. So it's a great documentary, hour and a half. I'd highly recommend you go check it out. Um, but first we have to talk about something that um, broke over this past weekend, um, something that kind of shocked the uh, film industry, the movie world, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I'm uh, talking, obviously, about, uh, I really don't know how to talk about this the right way, really, um, Chadwick Boseman passing away from colon cancer. And uh, for me, I think it was one of those things that, you know, when it happened, it immediately was a, okay, this is going to be the type of moment where it's like, where were you when you found out? And for me, um, I had taken Emily, our cousin, who's a, a big, huge supporter of this. She's awesome. Um, she, it was her birthday, and we took her to Cinemark in Denton. We rented her out. Um, one of the movie theaters at Cinemark is doing the private screenings of movies, and we um, checked out Raiders of the Lost Ark, which I have not seen on a big screen, so that was really cool. Um, it's one of her favorite movies, her favorite characters. So we went there and we're, you know, waiting in the theater. It's about to start. And um, I'm just like scrolling through Twitter. And all of a sudden it's just like Chadwick Boseman has died at 43 from, you know, colon cancer. And it, it looked like one of those tweets that you're just like, oh, that's fake. And then all of a sudden all these different, you know, tweets cause started pouring in from like Variety and, uh, you know, Rolling Stone and just all the different you know publications that um, a lot of people follow. I was like, wow, this is actually happening. And then I actually got a text from Garrett and Chad, and they were both like, what the, you know what? And I'm like, wow, uh, this, this is real. This, this is happening that, you know, this guy who was a phenomenal actor, um, a generational guy who, who played, you know, Black Panther, had passed away. And not only had just, like, passed away, but had passed away from something that nobody knew was going on. And I think that's what it would have been affecting if it was just like, you know, he had passed away from something benign, but, um, but like everybody had known about it 
and people still would have been really 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 sad because he was such a great actor and he had done such generational movies like black panther and he played you know three different um real people in jackie robinson thurgood marshall and um oh i don't remember the third one's name now but it was a musician um get on up i think was the name of the movie and so you know he was an actor who really made a you know a mark on the on on film um and so but then you add in that it was so sudden and he had fought through this disease you know without anyone really knowing for four years and it was the four years where he put out you know his some of his biggest movies he put out black panther he was in infinity war he was in endgame um i think he did marshall in that time period as well with josh gad and sterling k brown and um kate hudson's in it and that was a movie that like i had never seen and i was like okay like i've gotta watch this like and so i bought it on amazon prime and have it and and planning on watching it this weekend um but it was just that that confluence of different things that was going on that when it broke it was just it, it shattered people and now we're i think at the stage where we've we've kind of accepted it and and now understand how strong this man truly was because he went through this disease and chemo and and all and people making fun of him for looking skinny which is really really bad um you know now we can really see that strength in all those movies those movies look different now there's there's a different hue almost i guess of what you realize what was going on behind the scenes and that makes those movies even more special which is why i'm really interested to watch marshall and you know they read they showed uh black panther on abc and it was just it just shattered you know rating records or rating views and um you know all of that's going to look really different now and it's you're going to really appreciate it more moving forward because of who this man was and he was an amazing person and you can you can see that from there were this is probably weird there were pictures of uh, Michael B. Jordan and Chadwick Boseman and they were doing a photo shoot for Black Panther and you could see in moments when they would look at each other there was genuine like happiness and admiration for this person that they were so fortunate to be able to work with and that doesn't happen really often not only just in film but like in life where you find those people that you're like wow like this is a really good dude or or woman you know that you're like wow this is somebody who i really want to be around and you can sense that you can see that in those photos and that's who this man is or unfortunately was um so thoughts go out to his family obviously um i don't know if he had kids or anything like that and obviously to the people who worked with him um you know that's obviously has to be a really really hard time um, not only just through COVID, but now having to lose a friend from a disease you really didn't know he was fighting. Or maybe they did. You know, I, I, I don't. That's the other thing that's crazy about this. I mean, how many people really did know? And like, how many people were that good of a friend? Like, that's how much they cared about this guy that they, like, it never leaked for four years. For four years, that was just something that people were <clears throat> you know, holding to themselves because they knew that this person didn't want a lot of people to know so super sad uh rest in peace rest in power a lot of different things to him so uh, chadwick boseman but then the other piece of news that broke today was that robert pattinson the new batman has covid which it doesn't ever seem like we're going to ever be able to escape covid but we we shall see how that goes in the future but he has covid and it was i think not even like two days or two weeks after they had restarted filming this they were they were back on set for the batman and when this happened uh so the, the production is obviously shut down um oh not only was it interesting so a member of production 
tested positive first, and that's why they temporarily halted the production of the movie. Um, but now, now Variety, Vanity Fair is reporting that the individual in question is in fact the film's star, Robert Pattinson, after confirming with highly placed sources. Uh, Warner Brother Pictures and Pattinson's reps have yet to officially confirm that the new Bruce Wayne Batman performer is sick, but it would explain why the production was forced to shut down entirely. Interesting. So, it's obviously been shut down. I don't know that it's been confirmed yet that it has been Mr. Uh, Pattinson himself, but the rumor out there is that it is Robert Pattinson that is this member of the production staff, which would make sense as why they would like name it like that, be like, oh, it's the production person, but like, um, whoops. So... Yeah, so I mean, it's just an exclusive at this point from Variety, but that that's huge. If it, you know, if it was just him, which is interesting of how he got that, but that's been <clears throat> the news today. How long has it been? Oh, three days ago. Okay, sweet. It was three days ago that this freaking production started, and they had Robert Pattinson freaking get COVID. So yeah, that just kind of shows you what. You know, they probably weren't being smart about something and, you know, he got COVID or had COVID or maybe it was a false positive and he didn't have it at all. But, you know, he tested positive for it. So now we got to wait and see, you know, if he ever has symptoms and if they're able to, you know, resume production again fairly soon. I mean, I don't think this would, I don't think they're going to be able to meet their, you know, uh, what was the opening date? Opening date, I believe, is yeah, it's October 1st, 2021. And so I don't, I think they're going to have to push that pack at some point, but who knows? We, we'll just have to wait and see what's going on with all of that. And hopefully he comes back soon and they're not going to have to just you know, stop production and, you know, wait another month. It's been, they were stopped for five months. So, I mean, if they have to do that again, they're definitely going to have to push the, uh, push the release date, which is going to suck. But, you know, we got a trailer to hold us over, which was super, super awesome. But, uh, we'll just have to wait and see about that. That's something that's going to be developing over the next couple days for sure. So we will update you next Wednesday on that episode. But we are now uh, going to go to our interview for this episode. It is going to be the writer and the director of the new documentary, Feels Good Man, uh, coming out today. It's an awesome documentary that everybody needs to check out super trippy, uh, super crazy, you know, just story about Pepe the Frog. Um, it was at South by Southwest this year. Um, and it, I think I'm trying to find the website for it right now. Uh, feelsgoodmanfilm.com. So you can actually go and find showings that might be near you, or uh, you can just have there are all the links to watch it on demand. So Definitely go check it out on feelsgoodmanfilm.com. But here are Giorgio and Arthur. Awesome. All right, it is time now. We are joined by the writers, uh, producers, and also director of the new documentary called Feels Good Man. It comes out on September 4th. It was a uh, South by Southwest 2020 selection and also winner of the emerging documentary filmmaker at Sundance. Uh, it's Giorgio Angelini and Arthur Jones. Thanks you guys for coming on. Uh, how you guys been? Um, yeah, thanks for having us. This is, this is fun. Yeah, um, it's, been, it's been a really interesting time to take out a wild documentary film. Yeah. <laughs> we had a nice little film festival run there before the shutdowns. And we had planned on doing a world tour with Feels Good Man. Mm -hmm. um, and that all just kind of, uh, it just didn't happen. You know, yeah. The pandemic shut it all down. And so now we're trying to deal with like theater closures. And it's a really uh, unique time to be yeah. <laughs> taking a film out to the public. Are y'all going to be in any theaters or is it just going to be VOD only? <laughs> Fingers crossed. Uh, yeah, I know it's a little bit far out right now, but. Uh, yeah, there's some weird, interesting things in the works. I don't know that we could be public about it quite yet. When is this going to come out? We're going to release this the week of uh, the movie release, so the week of September oh, okay. 4th. So okay. we will, well, anything that's said on here, we will not release until the week of the movie. 
Okay. Okay. Well, then some Alamo Draft House is doing some screenings for us. Oh, hell yeah. Okay, okay cool. Yeah. It's right here in our backyard. So, yeah. So, yeah. it seems like we're going to be in a handful of theaters and states that have reopened. But, you know, every week we get some sort of new um, update about that. So, um, part oh, of taking really this film out has been being very flexible. Yeah, but we're really just like uh, the, the guy, Tim League, who, who started uh alamo draft house with his wife as yep. a huge film and had reached out um to say how much he liked it and how much he wanted to support us so we've just kind of been following his lead but definitely like we're basically just following the lead of, of uh you know bill and ted's excellent adventure and, and tenant so like we're just like the uh everyone's just following at this point. yeah <laughs> yeah well, you know, I mean, it's making our teenage selves very happy to know that we'll be hopefully in the same theater on a screen right next to Bill and Ted. So yes, that's yes. Um, that's pretty rad. And also, Alex Winter is a documentary filmmaker now, which is kind of crazy. I forget is he Bill or is he Ted? Which, which one is Keanu? I think he's Bill. I'm pretty sure Keanu's Bill. So Ted would be Alex. So Winter. Ted has made a lot of documentaries. He just okay. released something on HBO that um, it's about child actors. That'd be oh, yeah. yeah, that'd be really, really cool to check out. Yeah, um, I, I haven't seen it, but friends have seen it and said that it's quite good. So, yeah, maybe that would be of interest to your listeners. So how many uh, film festivals did you guys get into before everything just shut down? Well, it's kind of actually hard to say because some of them didn't announce their lineups because of the shutdown. So yeah, yeah. we've sort of gotten, um, you know, but I'm not sure, Giorgio, how many do you remember off the top of your head? I think my last count was 22 festival cancellations. Wow. Um, but some of them have picked back up in the fall. Um, they're doing drive-ins. Or I think one's even going to do some limited uh, theatrical screening as well. So, but yeah, roughly a couple of dozen festival cancellations all around the world too. Like Arthur and I were all jazzed getting ready to like go to Australia and New Zealand for a month. And wow. like, oh my God, I can't believe what this film is affording us to go to all these lovely places oops if only you had like gotten to new zealand before everything shut down then you could yeah. just bring it out in new zealand be COVID we would have never come out. back yeah, yeah even fine you'd literally be like doing press from new zealand right now it wouldn't be from where you are now like it'd be yeah awesome. and it's like famously impossible to get citizenship there we could probably like get some sort of covid hardship <laughs> yeah we could have just moved into the shire i'm sure Oh yeah, let's open that out. Jesus Christ. This movie or this documentary is about um, the creator of Pepe the Frog. And when I, I go through different like websites sometimes looking for trailers for stuff to watch. And the the picture all I saw was Pepe. And I was like, hold on, let's click on this real fast and just watched it and was blown away by not only just like the backstory of the creator, but what has transpired with this animated frog that's yeah. supposed to be pee-pee. When were you guys first kind of thinking, okay, this is something we're really interested in, not only just telling the story of like chronicling what happened, but also the creator, Matt? Yeah, I mean, the film came out of a relationship that I had with Matt Fury. I'd been a fan of his comic book, which was named Boys Club mm -hmm. in the mid 2000s. And I bought it and before Pepe ever became, became the meme that you recognized, that you clicked on, Pepe was a pretty obscure, but relatively beloved, independent comic character. Mm -hmm. And you know, Matt started doing it as a zine, a zine that he would like Xerox at work at the time he was working at a thrift store. And he would, he would make the cartoon to basically entertain the other employees at the thrift store. And um, so it was something that was not well known at all. And then he had scanned one page of Boys Club and he'd put it on his MySpace page, probably around like 2007. And um, this one image from this mm -hmm. one page was taken and it's a picture of Pepe the Frog saying, feels good man. And that one image um, over a 10 year period basically went viral in a way that very few things ever have. So, um, you know, Matt and I met on a hike with some group friends. And when I first met him, I was like, oh man, you did Boys Club. You're the Pepe the Frog guy. Like in my head, I was thinking that. And after that um, hike, and we had like a camping trip as part of it, 
um, you know, we would see each other around and we'd talk about comics and we'd talk about Pepe and I'd ask him questions about Pepe. And we initially had this idea of like maybe making a um, cartoon together. And we pitched the cartoon around to various places um, in Los Angeles. And we very quickly realized that a cartoon featuring Matt's Boys Club uh, characters uh, wasn't going to happen because Pepe had way too much negative baggage because it had been officially declared a hate symbol in 2015. Jesus. And um, after that experience, uh, I pitched Matt on the idea of doing a documentary film where we could really tell the story of Pepe from his perspective so people understood that um, Pepe, where Pepe was at in terms of, you know, the political landscape of America in 2016 is not where Pepe started. You know, and so um, while this was going on, I was working on a movie called Owned, A Tale of Two Americas that Giorgio directed. And he was having me do some um, animation on that film. And that's my background is doing motion graphics and animation. And um, kind of we just took that project and kept it rolling on over to Feels Good Man. And, um, you know, Giorgio shot a lot of Feels Good Man. He wrote some of the music in Feels Good Man. We were really in the trenches making this documentary together, um, basically for all of 2017 and 2018. Jeez, man. Giorgio, you have anything? Uh, uh, yeah, no, I mean, like, like you said, like I, I remember we were, we were doing kind of post-production on Owned and obviously that's when most of the animations and motion graphics come in. And so that's when, even though Arthur was like a really early collaborator in Own, just in terms of like shaping the ideas, that's when most of his actual work made it into the film. And so, yeah, I remember doing color correction in, in a, in a post-production house in New York and Arthur called me talking about this interview he just shot with his friend Matt. And I felt kind of silly because I had like known who Pepe was just having spent a lot of time on Reddit and stuff in those years, but I was embarrassed that I didn't really know the backstory and so like the more Arthur started telling me about Matt and what he was his ambitions were to create I just like became completely overwhelmed and obsessed with the story uh and basically moved out to LA to, <laughs> to make the film with Shit. Arthur well and something that this documentary does really well is dive not only into the backstory of Pepe but kind of the environment and the world that allowed it or was the reason it festered so much and there were different terms like neat that i'd never heard of and these keck, keck like yeah these different things <laughs> that we had never heard of and we think we're like know everything about the internet we but clearly did not go yeah we do not scratch the, the surface of like 4chan and everything yeah. like that so what was it like not only just like digging deep into this weird different world but finding these different things that maybe you guys had never heard of or were new to you as well you know, I, yeah, I'd never been on 4chan um, before making this film. I'd heard of 4chan because actually a friend of mine um, had sold a bunch of um, like video loops on 4chan. He, okay. had made these, he had made these video loops that he claimed that if you would stare at them for an hour, it was a repetitive, repetitive video loop. And if you stared at them for an hour, you would start to have a hallucinatory experience. And he told me that he had made something like eight or $900 from selling these video loops off a link on 4chan. And I was Jesus. like, none of that makes sense to me. Not really none of that, like, words. <laughs> none of it makes sense. And that was the first time I'd heard of 4chan. And then, um, you know, smash cut, like, you know, seven or eight years later, and I'm, I'm on it. And so, yeah. you know, uh, what the 4chan shit is, this? is something that is talked about in the media a lot, and it's more infamous. Um, you know, that people know of 4chan, but it's something that um, notoriously is kind of hard to understand because when you first log on to 4chan, it seems um, A, really ugly and B, really kind of boring. It's compared to the internet now, it feels like a website that's from like 2003 or something. It's just text-based conversations and image macros. But the thing that 4chan really does is um, it really creates a very basically the user base of 4chan almost becomes like a family if you yeah. look at um if you look at the amount of time people spend on 4chan um you know people spend like seven or eight hours on average on the site and it's because the conversations on 4chan become really addictive 
And so mm -hmm. we started looking at 4chan early and, and I kind of quickly realized that the interesting part of 4chan wasn't necessarily the specifics of the conversations that were happening, but it was the, um, the group think that was happening. Yeah. You could tell that 4chan was something that really meant something to the people on it in an emotional level. They really felt like they were a family or a community. And that was the thing that we kind of wanted to communicate in the film because Pepe really just became like the avatar for this community of people who are anonymous on 4chan. They live very far apart, but they have this community that is based on a lot of jokes and memes, but it's also really based on the feeling of you being an outsider and the outside world yep. that doesn't exist on 4chan will never understand you. And it's also really based on anger. And Pepe really became like an avatar for this mimetic anger that was floating around in America, um, you know, in the 2015, 2016 moment. And um, yeah, I mean, it was something that, a lot of the stuff on 4chan, I recognize that I grew up really conservative. My dad was um, a Rush Limbaugh fan, um, you know, like. Medal of Freedom now, right? If I'm correct. He did. Yes, no, yeah. national yeah. hero, national treasure, Rush, Rush Limbaugh. But he would listen to, he would listen to, um, you know, AM radio for six or seven hours a day. And I felt like that was actually quite similar to people spending five or six hours a day on 4chan. Yeah, pretty much. And, um, yeah, so, you know, and Giorgio and I were making, when Giorgio was making OWN, we would have a lot of conversations about kind of politics in America and weird online extremism and all sorts of stuff. So I knew he was really kind of like the perfect collaborator to bring on to, to work on the film. And we've got about uh, five terabytes of garbage that we've downloaded from 4chan that really helped us broaden our <laughs> understanding. <laughs> Hold the on. <laughs> what do you mean there's five terabytes of <laughs> 4chan? That seems like an extremely dangerous. We, did, uh, we, need, we need way more information <laughs> on what is involved. Since this is a Zoom call, I don't know if your listeners will be able to hear it, but I can hold it up right here. So here, we'll put here's it up. the hard Dear drive. God. That's that, a five that terabyte that looks like yeah. the cube thing that they're putting in Umbrella Academy, the full, like, <laughs> green cube. Sort of. Holy well, Jesus, man. Yeah, th this, this contains uh, mostly memes. I mean, the, the, the interesting thing about 4chan is, um, you know, it, it's a community that really kind of values its own history. So there's, four, even though 4chan auto-deletes these threads, you can post on it anonymously and then the threads will auto-delete. Hmm. There's all these archival sites that basically pull almost every single, um, you know, every single uh, post on 4chan. Mm -hmm. And it also allows you to download basically like um, image archives of all the memes that are on 4chan for certain time periods. So we were really able to like do a lot of really interesting journalism for this story by working backwards through different 4chan archives and then piecing together <clears throat> the narrative of the story so that it really felt like you were kind of experiencing it almost in real time. And, you know, one of the things that was interesting about the filmmaking process was that, you know, um, we really wanted the internet to feel alive. So, uh, you know, as a motion graphics artist, you know, it was something that I really kind of thought that we could bring to the table that would maybe make us like, uh, we just thought we could make a film that had like a real kind of artistic sensibility to it mm -hmm. that maybe other documentary teams wouldn't have. So that was something we were kind of excited to do. Specifically, just like bringing the internet to life, like just for your dear listeners to know, like it, we've been talking about 4chan a lot, but the film is really like a pretty mixed media film that has like a lot of verite shooting with Matt and Matt kind of experiencing all this stuff, but also like one of the great creative uh, challenges of the film was like, how do you make looking at the ugliest website on the internet an interesting theatrical experience? <laughs> how do you bring it to life? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. When you do it really well, because there's that moment where every, it, it, and it cuts back and forth between the video and the, the posts and the chat, and it's just basically like, somebody yell it, somebody yell it, like, and then all of a sudden, it's this guy yelling, Pepe. And it's an actual live YouTube yeah, video. At, yeah, at a Hillary, you know, talk. And right. so it's like, that's that moment when it really becomes like, these are things that happen in real life. Like, this is causing yeah. real life things to occur. 
How well, you know, we did that, the first edit of that scene, we had had like someone sort of guiding you through it. And I think Giorgio had the idea of like, let's take the narrator out of this mm -hmm. and let our editor Drew tell the story completely through 4chan posts because yeah. it felt like you were really there. Like you wanted, we, you know, also like, you know, that, that sequence in the film is made up of, you know, there's all these people furiously typing on 4chan. And so we had an amazing sound designer named Lawrence Everson, who was, um, he was, he was taking old computer keyboards and typing on them simultaneously and several of them out so that it almost sounded like a fire building, like a crackling fire building That's so um, on the keyboards. And wow. so that was something that really, um, yeah, that, that was a moment that was really artistically interesting for us to, to capture for sure. The uh, animated scenes of like the boys club, was that something that um, was original for the documentary or is there an actual like animated series based on boys club? Cause I would love to see that if there is. You know, uh, no, that was all made for the documentary. So I, I was one of four animators on the film. So um, that was also something that I was excited to make the film because I felt like I could take Matt's comic books and really breathe life into them. And the same way Giorgio was talking about us wanting to breathe life into the internet, we wanted to have people clearly understand Pepe's context. We wanted people to know that the source material for Pepe the Frog was this comic. And um, so we wanted the animations of uh, Boys Club to be really like fantastic and fun and have like more stage presence than the memes themselves mm -hmm. and, and then like actual emotion so you gave a shit about these characters and like yeah. the hope is that by the, end of the film without giving away the ending no spoilers here that like you care about the journey that pepe went through as like an actual character like any other cartoon character you care about we definitely make that connection by the end of the, the documentary where you have an emotional investment in the character and what matt does with the character really like hammers that home for you well that's the thing is that's why i think this is set apart from other documentaries because it doesn't feel like just a strict documentary type movie like right. there's also these animation you know almost cut scenes that are not only just great storytelling they're visually just when insane to watch they're making a story of a symbol yeah right and they're animating that story as well as it's creative so yeah that combined is so cool so it's just really like the animation style that y'all used was amazing. And that's, even if you don't really want to like see or hear what the story of Pepe the Frog is, like just watch it because it's one of the better like animated sequences you're going to see this but year. But also stick around because it's insanely It's going great. to be very relevant Most for this year. Most batshit crazy <laughs> stories of all time of this guy who's created something that has now just like completely morphed into no offense a monster yeah you were you're friends with matt or you have become friends with matt it's 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 very simple to say that it looks like it took an absolute toll on him through the course of this documentary how does he really feel about what's happened with his character i i think matt has a really complicated relationship to pepe you know i it's it's interesting i think for um matt pepe does feel real it's like a complication a complicated relationship you might have with like a child or something yeah you know it was something that he made in his early 20s and then he he only did four issues of boys club the comic book and then he kind of put the comics away and he um mostly makes his living now as a fine artist and um you know he makes these like kind of like vibrant you know like beautiful colored pencil you know trippy psychedelic um you know artworks now and so there's a part of him that looks back on it with a with that feeling that people have maybe when you look at something you did as a teenager and you feel like slight embarrassment but then there's also part of him that's very proud of it there's a yeah. part of him that when he sees those comics it reminds him of his friends you know i think um, I think there's always a part of Matt where Pepe forces him to live in the past and that he has a lot of feelings about that. Um, you know, but we kind of wanted through both telling Matt's story and making the cartoon so special, we wanted people who maybe use Pepe on 4chan or on Twitch or on these places to somehow have like 
a larger understanding of that the symbols that they choose to use do have like some sort of larger contextual meaning in society, you know, like something that you might use without much thought is something that does have sort of a litany of repercussions um, in the real world. And Matt's an example of that. So, you know, of the story was going to be. Y'all there? There you are. Disconnected for a second. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So going into like this year's election and related to the point you just kind of made, how do you see this documentary affecting the same process that happened between 2015 and 2016? Because one could kind of hope that this documentary comes out, it serves as a great education on what happens in this meme culture and how that can affect our politics. But I think realistically, that's like turning the Titanic around, right? Like, it's very difficult to do. How, how aware of you, are you of like the current situation of 4chan and how that's playing out going into this election? And what do you think you, your documentary is gonna play into that? And if I could add something real fast is, how, do you, how are y'all going to kind of take the image of Pepe and make it about like, oh, it's just like a fun documentary, but really market it that way to kind of like subvert people's expectations and like get them to watch it. Then they get all this other information. I mean, that was the reason that I initially got super excited about the film, because for documentaries, I always love my favorite documentaries are films that are about something super eccentric and specific, but actually talk about something much bigger. Yeah. And Pepe kind of the most absurdly perfect encapsulation of that of that interest and desire like the one of the more rewarding experiences was was not just screening at a, you know a festival like Sundance but also like showing a film that you would think is more relevant to younger audiences to older people and seeing them react to it I think there's something about the film that explains to people a history and experience that happened in 2016 that for a lot of people has felt and continues to feel like very esoteric and opaque and hard to understand. Like, wait, how did he get elected? And like, who are these people online? And what does all this shit mean that they're talking, you know? And it's like 2016 marked this moment where the kind of internet surreality kind of like permeated into our consensus reality, our real lived reality. And like, telling this that complicated story is really difficult except through this like really funny stupid green frog that seems to have like mean everything and nothing to so many people around the world and so um yeah i don't know i mean like moving into this new election obviously memes are super important like uh michael bloomberg spent like millions of dollars on yeah. like a uh, meme team <laughs> which I'd be curious to, to see what, what unused memes they created there. There's but probably like, a five terabyte brick somewhere <laughs> full of memes. <laughs> really sure. bad memes. Yeah, of really <laughs> shitty Bloomberg <laughs> memes. So. Yeah. Yeah. Bloomberg. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but it's really important because... <laughs> Sorry. Like, like, looking at 2016, most people will be like, oh, that shit was just crazy. It's only going to happen once. But I don't think people realize, like, that's the new normal. Like... That is how the future is going to play out is meme wars are going to yep. sort of decide our elections. I, I think you're right. And, you know, we're not viewing this film as a way to like, you know, as you, as you were sort of stating, like turn the Titanic around. We don't think it is. We're viewing this movie really as sort of an act of like media literacy. It's something that people really have to sort of be aware of because the attention economy is now, um, really our everyday existence. You know, this movie is a story about how basically the aesthetics of trolling moved off of internet message boards and moved into mainstream politics. And you're right, if you look sort of, you know, there was an article in the New York Times um, not long ago about how Bolsonaro sort of uses troll armies, quote unquote troll armies, to help sort of like um, get the word out about, you know, his party and policies this is the new normal um and we have Those to are... sorry go ahead Giorgio. i was saying brazil bolsonaro in brazil just for oh sorry so south american donald trump basically yeah yes. basically President hydroxychloroquine like their skittles and so he uh 
you know, I, I think, um, you know, we're going to see sort of politics get more and more extreme in the same way that you see threads on 4chan sort of one up each other um, in terms of like more and more extreme um, energy and ideas. And so that's something that we really have to be aware of. And we have to understand that like when someone is sometimes putting forth, you know, a bad faith argument or is trying to gaslight you, these are the tactics of trolling. And we as a culture have to know how to call those out, ignore things when we need to ignore them, take things seriously when they need to be taken seriously. And um, yeah, just, just understand that this is like you were saying, the new normal. Yeah, just that memes have such power, you know, like that's, that's what makes them super interesting, creative projects for people, but they also kind of democratize propaganda in a way that I think was intensely exciting for a large group of people online during the 2016 election that they could feel like they were part of this real meme war. And if they could make one meme that took off and like Donald, Donald Trump like retweets it, like that's the biggest thing that happens in your life. And like he literally had people at the White House in 2018, like a, a meme convention of all of his, of all these people. And he's yeah. just like openly mocking them. Like, I can't believe the things you guys do. I don't, I don't understand this shit, but like, you guys keep at it. It's keep going like, for it. <laughs> it was at the Doral Country Club, actually, though. So. Oh, right. Sorry. No, no. no, no, no. You corrected me on Bolsonaro, so I'm going to correct you. Okay. <laughs> Could you imagine the scene of like, Trump with a bunch of meme lords. Yeah, like 300, <laughs> like, basement, basement dwelling. Yeah, I can't. I can't at, at all. At the Doral Country Club in South Florida. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, and that's the one where someone had made the meme of him basically coming in and, like, mowing down all of his political opponents. And, Wonderful. Um, oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. It's beautiful, beautiful stuff. But, you know, you're right to kind of, um, you know, when we were making the trailer, we did understand that, you know, um, this film has like so many different kind of like um, parts to it. There is a part of it that's very funny and sweet and endearing, but there's also a part of it that is um, really dark and sinister and kind of thought provoking. And so, you know, it is an interesting film to um, take out to an audience because people really have wildly different reactions to it in the theater. Well, speaking of Trump's team, you, you do an interview with, it was a member of his team, but it, he prominently shows off his OAN badge and he, he, he's just very crass when he's talking about Matt trying to reclaim who Pepe is. And, and he's, he's just basically saying like, dude, it's not going to happen. Like yeah. they're just going to continue to use it. Like he's as basically a, mocking him. Yeah. What was it? I, I, I think it's, it's right to include somebody from the other side to give that perspective. But what was it like to kind of find that person and then kind of hearing what they were saying? Um, there was an article in Politico that featured, his name's Matthew Brainerd. And um, I saw in the article in Politico, he was standing in front of uh, Ann Coulter poster and it kind of looked like a Farrah Fawcett poster from the 1970s. It was a young Ann Coulter with, you know, her, her, her blonde hair. And it was, there was just something about it. When I saw that image, I was like, he's going to be in the <laughs> I, 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 I think I like we were in the office and I started like marching around the office and Georgia was like, oh, <laughs> Arthur's excited about something. I just had a feeling um, about perfect. Him. Yeah, you know, uh, he, he spoke his truth. Yeah, he, he, he was trolling. It was an interview where he was he was trolling and he he, he says basically that Matt draws like what, an eight year old or a third grader or something. Yeah. And in the interview, um, I could tell that he had teed that lineup before we got there. Like it was just something where I think he had prepared for that line. And so, you know, it was a necessary interview for the film because you really understand how, you know, this didn't happen by accident. Um, this is something that was calculated by people that were close to the president and, you know, part of his staff. So, yeah, he was um, he was part of the Corey Lewandowski team, which was kind of the first wave of Trump's campaign. So it's yeah. amazing. We just reviewed a uh, original Netflix documentary on immigration. Oh. If you can get Trump officials on camera, they'll they, say some wild ass they shit. They'll dig their own grave. Oh, my God. Within minutes. Like, it's a he, uh, it was all, it was also super intense just because like he 
there was just such an assumption of bad faith between, I would say, I guess from both sides, but I think we were probably more right than he was, but like he wanted to record the entire interview himself. Yeah. That's, that, that's like, usually not a first, take first step. And we're like fine with that. Like we're not going to try any, pull any fast ones or whatever, yeah. but I don't know. It's like, he's very similar to a lot of people in Trump's orbit, which is just like, you can just get the sense that this is all about something else. You know what I mean? Like this isn't really about politics. It's about something else going on in your life. And like, it just felt like in speaking with him that, yeah, he was just more preoccupied with kind of trolling us. Uh, but at the same time, providing us a really important perspective and insight that uh, was valuable to the, to the, journalistic integrity of the film for sure no it's just a lot like i don't get half the crap they say but i feel like they're just saying it because i know it's gonna get like a reaction from somebody yeah, that really I just mean, like i feel like they kind of believe it too but it's really just like i'm just gonna say this to piss off a ton dude of people. it all comes from the top right like trump just says shit to get a reaction and yeah. they just are play, you know using the same playbook well and pepe the frog has it was used as a symbol for the protesters in Hong Kong. And it's good to see that like, that's what it's being used for now. But do you really think that that's what the Pepe the Frog legacy is? Or do you think it's still going to be used for this upcoming election? That's now mm. shit under four months away now, under three, under three months away mm. now. So it's, it's we're, we're coming up on another huge one. Yeah, I mean, Pepe continues to be used in all sorts of different ways by all sorts of people. So certainly if you go to 4chan today and you scroll through any thread on 4chan, you're going to see Pepe. Um, you know, there, the, one of the most common things that sort of gets left as a comment in our social media is like, you know, you can't take back Pepe. Pepe is ours. There's this idea of Pepe having like one owner yeah. or Pepe having like a, a sort of specific allegiance. Um, and, you know, this film is really about all the complexities of the character and about how symbols sort of permeate culture in surprising ways. So, um, you know, uh, you know the, the moment has even shifted from that Hong Kong moment. You know, that footage was taken in August and September of 2019. You know, even since we wrapped Making Feels Good Man, we've seen a whole different generation of people who uh, use Pepe on Twitch and TikTok, and they really have none of the negative baggage from the 2015, 2016 moment. I think in part because they weren't old enough to vote back mm -hmm. you know, yeah. then. It's another generational shift. You know? So it's interesting. We've been definitely seeing like um, Pepe being used in more positive ways, but certainly that dumb honkler meme just continues to also be around. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's okay clown there's like a clown pepe meme that gets posted quite a bit but i have to say it's like because i'm the one that's managing our social media uh it's like you know you have people from likely from 4chan who are like you're so dumb and naive and matt's never going to take this back they don't know they also don't understand the power of like the image is bigger than all of us honestly and it's like the idea that they own it is equally silly and also matt doesn't believe you know if you ask matt straight up he, he is totally down with it kind of existing in the ether and ether and moving on. The thing he is not comfortable with is the idea that Pepe is a hate symbol. It's just mm -hmm. not, it's much far more complex than that. Yeah. And like, uh, I think the only consistent thread really that is innate to Pepe and we kind of say it in the movie with our resident, uh, occultist, John Michael Greer, he says like, <laughs> Pepe I forgot is, about that, dude. She oh, was yeah, great. He's great. He's like, <laughs> the freaking like, book scene. I was like, what the shit? Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, that, that, that interview, he's such a special person, and it was so perfect because, like, in all of the absurdity of the story and all the people we talked to, all the professionals and psychologists and journalists and researchers, like, it took an occultist to really explain the phenomena of Pepe in the most astute way. And like at the end of his interview, he says like, uh, you know, Pepe is an omen and we must listen to what he has to say. And if you, if you like look at the lineage of Pepe from when Matt created him and why just like consider for a moment that like he's probably the most popular recognizable cartoon in the world, you know, save for like three other cartoon characters. And that's all based on just the power of Matt's 
ability to draw a really emotive character. There's no money behind it. There was no like Nickelodeon or Disney money behind it. Yeah. And it's, it's everywhere. But the thing that's the through line through it all is that like, if you're going to consider it as a Pepe, as an omen, it's like, he kind of embodies this kind of like youth unrest, a kind of general age, yeah. generational malaise. Right. And that, and it just manifests in different ways around the world. And it's also, he's just the, he's the face of the faceless. Like the thing that connects the Hong Kong protesters to the users of 4chan is anonymity. The Hong Kong protesters had to wear masks because of the facial recognition software being used by the Chinese government. And so Pepe once again became an image for people who didn't want to use their actual identities. And so, you know, I think uh, Pepe has just become the, the sort of face of ennui on the internet. And he's become that for racists, but he's also become that for people who are just gaming on Twitch. He's become that for people who are like, you know, doing makeup tutorials on Tumblr. Like it, it, he's, you know, it's still used in a variety of ways. I don't think the character, you know, the internet cycles through things very quickly. I don't think the energy surrounding the character um, is the same as it was in 2015. That moment to like make Pepe really toxic, to purposely like Nazify or Toxify Pepe has passed. How know? do you feel about, you know, in this moment in 2020, um, it's still being labeled as a hate symbol by ADL? When in the documentary, when his friend was like, you should have sued the ADL for defamation, I was like, yes, do it. But. <laughs> Like kind of at this point, it seems, you know, it seems like the other symbols that they have labeled as hate symbols, they're not shifting in our zeitgeist like Pepe is. Like a swastika is always going to be a swastika. That makes sense. It doesn't really make sense to have a frog listed as a hate symbol when probably the majority of people that currently use it are not using it in the context that the ADL assigns it. And only because they only use it in the hate sense nowadays because it does have that notoriety of being an ADL hate speech. Like, if you right. took that away, then these people would probably look at it and just be like, oh, it's not that important anymore. Like, if you take that away, right. it loses yeah. a lot of its power. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's the, yeah, that's the power of trolling, right? It's like, it's like convincing mainstream to accept your bad faith position. Right. Yeah, and it, you know, the ADL declaring it a hate symbol or Hillary Clinton, um, you know, writing a, a widely shared blog post about Pepe the Frog are, the, are huge victories for trolls, but it also doesn't change the fact that it was being used by white supremacists and extremists as like a symbol for coded propaganda during that moment. So, you know, the ADL was, you know, we, we ultimately believe that institutions like the Anti-Defamation League or the Southern Poverty Law Center are necessary to call out extremism and culture, you know, but this is uncharted territory for both you know, yeah. Matt and them. Mm -hmm. And they were nice enough to come on uh, camera and talk about this in all the complexity that it, that it deserves. But at the same time, you know, they have always left open the door that Pepe can go from like, um, that Pepe will be taken off of it. And we hope that the further we get away from that 2016 moment and the more people understand Matt's true intentions of the character and hopefully Feels Good Man, the documentary will help that. Um, maybe it will be taken off the hate symbol. And that, that moment can be used as sort of a moment for hope, you know, that things can change and that we can kind of move on from this like sort of, you know, dark moment into something that's different. The awareness alone should make a big difference because they added it to the list within weeks of the election. And in that moment, it's like, okay, this makes a ton of sense, right? Like yeah. there's a connection, it makes sense. But in 2020, with the documentary coming out, all these people are gonna see this and say, wait, it's on the ADL hate symbol list? <laughs> like, what? And I think at yeah. this point, people can kind of be like, okay, like at some point, this, this is not going to make sense anymore. And having more background on what like the actual symbol is and the story behind it, it's like, okay, like there's no reason this needs to be on here. Anymore. Yeah, they, you know, so they, they, they use the database as a way mostly for, I think, parents to understand, yeah. like, if their kid is into something, like, really mm -hmm. extreme. So, like, if they see, like, a set of numbers that, you know, a kid is, you know, used on their phone or something or drawn, then they'll be like, oh, you know, maybe that's a set of numbers that would be used by neo-Nazis or something like that. But, yeah, you know, I think now, you know, parents who are seeing their kids use Pepe on Twitch, 
I don't think many people are going to assume that their kid is becoming radicalized by white supremacists if they're just playing a game on Twitch and using a laughing Pepe emoji as a reaction. Yeah, and I will say the ADL has changed the page, the Pepe page, over time, and they've like they've given it more nuance, and now they really see it as a kind of resource for people to understand the full backstory. So, you know, it's they're in a tough position too. Uh, I think they just kind of like. Um, jumped into it with probably the right intentions, but then kind of like walked into uh, an issue that they maybe didn't fully comprehend at the beginning. But, you know, I, I think, and they'll tell you, I mean, the guy we interviewed there, the director, Oren Siegel, would be the first to tell you that like, yeah, that they, the best hope they have is to be able to take them down. Yeah, I'm sure they would love to. I mean, at the end of the day, like, you know. Not- I- Pepe was the first meme that they declared a hate symbol. And, you know, since then they've, you know, they've used the okay sign. Um, You know, they've talked about Dylan Roof's haircut, you know, and it's easy for people to kind of roast that stuff as being like tone deaf. But the reality is that like, you know, symbols have meaning. Um, People, people use these things to obfuscate their, you know, anti-social agendas. So, um, you know, people do need to talk about it and there's not like really a right way of doing it. Well, on a, on a bit of a lighter note, this comes out <laughs> September 4th. Um, <laughs> and when you guys announced that this was coming out September 4th, it was not as loaded of a release date as it yeah. became over the last couple of weeks with Mulan and Tenet. Um, what was, what's it been like, you know, getting this movie ready and then having this release date and then it's gotten maybe not jumbled, but it's gotten a little bit more crowded than you guys might've thought a couple weeks ago. Yeah. I mean, when Chris Nolan called me to ask, (laughs) and I put my new movie here, (laughs) I was like, listen, Chris, buddy, I know you had a hard time, but Giorgio was smoking a huge cigar while this was going on too. Uh, You know, honestly, until you just said it, it didn't occur to us. I don't think now, now, I don't know. Like all these things exist in, different threads uh we'll we'll see i think we've just been trying to be as nimble as possible you know like just getting this thing out was such a victory like we were at the beginning of the pandemic talking to a lot of distributors who were like interested in the film kind of kicking the tires like you know but they were also in the situation not knowing what covid or how it would play out so like you know admittedly like they had a lot of consternation about what a theatrical release would would look like but everyone agreed like oh this should definitely come out before the election so we're constantly in this situation where with distributors where they're like oh we love the film but we can't like commit to putting it out before the election and it just got to the point that arthur and i and the rest of the team were like well we just have to do this ourselves and so it's just been like a real incredibly uh uh engaged sort of learning experience and just being really nimble and um yeah, we'll, we'll hope for the best, but so far so good. I also have to say, like, you realize that, you know, the distributors we're talking to are mostly people in their 50s, and there's kind of a generational divide. I don't think they understand um, the power of the Pepe story. Like, when we, when we screen this at a variety of film festivals, you know, in general, film festivals have a slightly older crowd, but because this is a story about Pepe the Frog, at every screening there would be sort of you know, maybe a third of the theater would be young people who are coming to see it. And, you know, for the older people, like Georgie was saying before, it's a film that really opens their eyes to stuff that they didn't know existed within culture. But to people that are like 20, 22, 23, this is a youth culture story. It's like watching a movie about a punk rock band or something. It's about like memes as being like a big part of their um, upbringing because kids are so extremely online now. And so I think, you know, a lot of distributors had a hard time understanding, like we had distributors saying like, oh, this film skews too young. We had doc, like doc people that were like, ah, we don't know if this is going to fit the classic doc audience. So, you know, we're excited that it's just getting out and we we're excited for it to find the audience that, you know, we're confident is out there. When I looked it up before we came on here, it's on your website, feelsgoodmanfilm.com. You can pre-order it on iTunes. It's only $12.99, which is a lot cheaper than Mulan's going to be. 
and it's going to yeah, be a go whole see. lot better. Skip like, on, see this. It's less sure. than half the price. <laughs> like that's why I looked it up because I was like, I bet it's a lot cheaper, and it is. Oh, so go yeah. watch this instead of like Mulan, <laughs> because. <laughs> yeah. Did you? Oh no, sorry. No, I just said thank you. Yeah, no, no. It's it's uh also I just wanted to add, yeah, that's the that's to purchase. So that's to own that's to own that's the to price. own the movie. Yeah. 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 The rental price right. is gonna be cheaper. So if this comes out on September fourth, people will be able to rent it for significantly cheaper than the yeah. Senator Milan or any of that stuff for sure. You don't need a um, Disney Plus subscription. You can just go uh, on to iTunes or Apple TV and, and pay. Don't to worry, it. you have Giorgio's permission to go see Tenet <laughs> yeah. after yes. you see this. Christopher Nolan yes. told me to do it. But yeah. it, it is a wild ride, and it is a documentary that a lot of people should see. Um, you should really clean this up and actually make this, like, required viewing for sophomores in high school. Yes. Like, <laughs> legitimately. You know, that's... that's Someone literally just texted me or sent a, uh, a tweet to me that said, kids should watch it in school. <laughs> so. You know, that's always been part of our rollout, too. Like... Part of us taking this out independently, though, is also like distributing it to libraries, distributing it to colleges. Like we're we are thinking about this, um, you know, in a way that, uh, I, you know, I documentary. I also will say, like, is it a really kind of growing moment? There's so many great documentary films that are coming out, oh. and the industry doesn't know what to do with them. I think some of the best films from this year, bar none, are documentary films. There's so many great documentary films we got a chance to see on the festival circuit. And a lot of those films aren't going to end up on streaming platforms. So I do think that like in the coming years, you know, documentary audiences are going to um, catch up to all of the great art that's being made, um, you know, and it's not going to be just on PBS or like in a classroom or something like that. Speaking of doing it at schools, how much to come to a, a Dallas middle school to show it and talk? Because I'm going to start teaching here in a couple of weeks and we're going to need stuff to talk about. So if you guys want to show it to a bunch of middle schoolers. He is a, he's a first time teacher uh, yeah. going into a middle Good school. Good luck getting the parental slips. Good luck getting yeah. the, the parents this to sign this. You know, I, I talked to a, a, a friend of mine who teaches at a high school here and we, we talked about doing a high school screening. Um, and then, um, before the shutdowns, I got to show it at a, at a college film class, which was a really good conversation. Nice. Um, you know, we've talked to people who've watched it with like their 12 year olds or 13 year olds. And this is, even though a lot of the stuff in it's really edgy, these are all conversations that kids are having, yeah. you know, if they're playing video games with their friends online. Um, you know, it's something that kids who have phones are just part of. Like kids need to understand all of the context for this stuff even more than adults. So, you know, I think we both at various points making the film are trying to think about our teenage selves and, you know, how would they respond to like the film we were making. Yeah. yeah I, and I, I come through Dallas fairly often. So my, my wife's it, family is there, so. It could, it could happen. We're definitely open to it. Like if it was, um, That'd yeah. be a hard sell for your, uh, for your I, new boss, man. I could, I could sell my principal on that so easily if I was like, hey, he's a real, like, he would actually be down to talk You just have to it, skip so. the, uh, the re scene. <laughs> <laughs> the re, well, yeah. We have, we have a cut we made for PBS, so, like, we could play a kind of censored version. No, it's I'm funny, legit. yeah, there's, like, this is something that I would kill to show, like, not only just, like, my kids and my, because I'm going to yeah. be teaching journalism, like, I think this is something that they need oh. to see. But like the well, whole could 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 take something from. We'd be happy to zoom in, you know, like if you showed it and the kids wanted to do a Q&A or something. The PBS cut, you know, um, you know, a lot of the graphic language was omitted. Okay. Um, or, you know, for instance, we can't show a, a frog butt. Right. Maybe we can show the frog butt. You We've had some funny conversations about how much of a frog ass crack you can show. Or percentage, the sliding yeah. scale. Is it like stuff? the F word? You can only say it once. It's like fifty percent of the ass crack you can show. Well, we can't say the F word anytime, but uh, yeah. But also, like a urine, a urine cartoon urine stream is also a no go, or the sound as well is also a no go. So. Yeah, we, the sound of urine is not broadcastable. So, uh, yeah. But it's incredible. You know what is broadcastable? Are drips of urine hitting the side of a toilet, which is right. kind of incredible. But, 
You know the regulations you know. are more are ridiculous <laughs> when you get it down to the detail of types urine. of urine audio. Not only just urine, just cartoon <laughs> urine audio. Yeah, awesome. but wow. but I do agree with you. I mean, like I said before, this is like a, a film about really about media literacy. So yeah, I I think either one of us would be stoked to talk to your class about it. No, uh, I, I definitely will be reaching out to y'all. But on September fourth. Feels Good Man is available. If you want to go shop for a poster, it's at feelsgoodmanfilm.com. Uh, we'll have a full review. Yes. The week of the, week of the movie. Uh, you know, guys, thank you guys for coming on. Uh, this is going to be awesome. We can't wait to see what you guys are doing in the future. And uh, yeah, we're excited for your movie. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so thank much for the great conversation. We really appreciate it. Yeah, man. All right. You guys All have right. a great day. Take care. All right. Thanks. Bye. And that was our interview with Giorgio Angelini, the writer, and Arthur Jones, the director of the new documentary, uh, Feels Good Man, comes out today. I think it's only about 7 or $8 um, to rent. Uh, so it's a great, great movie to check out. So definitely do that. But thank you guys for listening to this episode. Uh, like I said, we are going to be switching to just one episode a week now on Wednesdays. Uh, but definitely check out our Instagram uh, we will update when we're going to let that Colby Menifee uh, interview premiere. So go check us out there. It's Furloughed Film Talks on Instagram and also Furloughed Film Talks on YouTube. Subscribe to the channel. We're going to be putting out some more videos here soon. Uh, and then uh, our website, furloughedfilmtalks.net. But thank you guys for listening, and we will talk with you next week.